Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. First and foremost, I had my firstborn child on a Palm Sunday. A triumphal entry it was. After much time, he arrived. And it is, to me, it's like such a day of celebration. At the church that I grew up here, I grew up here in Nashville, Tennessee, and the church I went to did such a fantastic job celebrating Holy Week, celebrating everything from Palm Sunday all the way through to Easter Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, for some reason, I don't know why, but it's one of my last memories of my grandmother in church was on a Palm Sunday. And yes, my mom knows that she could not really stand. She was really weak in her, um, in her months leading up to passing away. And I just remember her on her chair, like swinging her palm branch, still singing to Jesus, you know? My grandmother was an intercessor. I feel like her prayers kept me in the center of God. All growing up, she was so such a powerhouse in the spirit. So Palm Sunday for me is very special and sacred because I have beautiful memories attached to this day. And then we would go all the way through and, you know, we'd have a good Friday. And we were the um, kind of, we were a really creative church. Great musicians. We did play. We did like the Good Friday play. And I just, I loved it. My dad was in the play a couple of times and his role was to um, carry the cross for Jesus. And I just would cry. I was like my little eight-year-old self. I'm like, oh, but probably not because it was like holy. I was like, I'm just so glad my dad doesn't have to die on a cross, you know? <laughs> you know, like how your kid brain thinks, but it was so sacred, you know, and we'd bring Good Friday up to the moment of Jesus's death and burial and we would leave it and we'd all walk away and quiet from that moment in anticipation of what was gonna happen on Easter Sunday. And we were the family every now and then, we would do the sunrise service and they would, my church did a drum line, did a, did a drum line and bagpipes. I think we need to catch up to, you know. So they would do like a full drum line, there'd be bagpipes and we would just go nuts in the presence of God, like just, you know. So Holy Week is really, really special and important to me because it has some of my favorite church memories attached to it. And I want that for our kids. I want that for our families here. And so today is the kickoff to that. Palm Sunday is the kickoff to a week of remembrance and celebration. And it makes our faith so powerful and it really helps it, you know, matter, right? Without the resurrection, none of this matters. Without the death and the willingness to give his life, none of this really matters. We're just here at a social club singing karaoke. But that is not church. Church is not a social club where we sing karaoke. Church is a place that we come to worship the King of Kings. He is alive, he is living, and he hears our songs and he hears our prayers and he bends down and he answers them and he responds to us. And it's a good time to remember that. So. We'll see how this goes. My little, my computer, they've been helping me out about it. It is alive. He's alive. Hallelujah. 
That's incredible. Okay, so let's turn to our Bibles. I turn our Bibles to Luke 19. Today I'm closing out our by any means necessary series. And really, I'm kind of creating a segue, a bridge of sorts between by any means necessary and next week's sermon series launch, which is called Just Jesus. That's all we're going to talk about. Just Jesus. It's all we need. He's the center. He's everything. And so we're gonna come back around the person of Jesus for a, a whole sermon series. I don't know how long it's gonna be. I have a sneaking suspicion he might drag it out with us for a while. So let's stand today. We're gonna read from uh, Luke 19. If you don't have your Bible on you today or your app, you can read with me from the screen. We're gonna focus our time today on verses um, 28 through 40, which is the traditional triumphal entry story. And we're gonna look at the life of Jesus. We're gonna learn some lessons from the life of Jesus today, which is the best life to learn lessons from, amen? amen. Okay, so we're gonna jump in here at verse 28. You can read with me or you can read along with me. So, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Yet untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be the biggest, the best, the most anointed, the most gifted, the most flashy person on planet earth to be used by God? Isn't it cool that God will take you in your smallness and do something big through your life? That's my prayer, God, have need of me. Will you ride in on my life and change the people around me? Please, please, I, I just, just do anything, you know, do anything through my life. So if you're here today and you feel like I'm not enough, there's no way that my life can make an impact. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a photographer. I'm just a, you know, whatever it is, I'm here to remind you today that if Jesus could ride in on a cult, he can ride in on your life too and change everything and change history through your life. So the Lord has need of you. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the cult, they sat Jesus on it. It says set, which I always get on to while about using set in the wrong context as he's speaking. 36, and as he rode along, it said, he said, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, just as they do in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples because essentially they were saying, hey, they're claiming that you are the Messiah or that you're here to rescue them and that's heresy. So you should probably, you know, correct them. Jesus knew the truth and he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. 
Let's pray, Jesus, don't let the stones cry out on our behalf. Let us be Hosanna people. Let us be worshipers of you. God, teach us to rightly know you, to know you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, I ask that you would make us a pure worshiping people that truly love you from the inside out and let nothing say our thank yous for us. Let no one say our hallelujahs for us. God, let us be a people tethered to your presence and tethered to the reality of what you did for us on this week, thousands and thousands of years ago. We thank you for your presence. And in your name, we pray Jesus. And everyone said, amen. 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 All right, you guys can be seated. So... This is our God, you know, this is Jesus riding through a sea of parted people yelling, Hosanna. And yet, you know, they're, I love the picture, right? I, I wonder if it was, prob- I don't know. I wonder if it was as chaotic as like it was this morning, right? You know, people, pre- you know, pressing in at all sides, like Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, save us. You know, Hosanna is essentially claiming, hey, you are our salvation. Only you can save us because the Jewish people knew that there was a coming savior and Messiah. They assumed that he was going to rescue them from all oppression. And for them, that oppression was very real at the time because there was the Roman occupation and they were very oppressive to, um, you know, the Jewish people and really everyone who did not want to say yes to the way that they had laid out life. And as we know, you know, Jewish believers had a very specific way of living their life. And they, they were, you know, essentially answering to God for how they did their life. So they were like, Jesus is going to rescue us. He's going to save us from oppression. What they didn't realize is that he wasn't just only coming to save them from their physical oppression. He wanted to do something more, which is save them from their eternal oppression and separation from the father and and save them from the reality that, that they could go to hell one day and be eternally distant from a good father who loves them. So Jesus knew, okay, despite the fact that they're here and they're, they're worshiping me and they're claiming that I'm, I'm, I'm here to bring salvation, they don't have the full picture yet. They don't know just yet. And some of us have that same experience, right? We believe that Jesus is just gonna rescue us from our everyday hardships, but the reality is that Jesus did not come to, to you know, ha- help you have a rainbow happy butterfly life. He didn't come just so that you could, you know, play patty cake in peace all the time. He came so that in the midst of your sufferings, he, he could be with you and you could still remain connected to the source for all of eternity. And that matters, right? Because we all go through hard stuff. I don't think any of us wake up on a day and say, today I would like to go through something really challenging. (laughs) But life happens, right? Lyle likes to say, life has a way of arranging your Good Friday. It has a way of killing in you everything that separates you from God. And so Jesus didn't come just to be like, all right, now that I'm here, you have no more oppression, you have no more issues. You know, he was like, no, I was coming to deal a death blow to death itself. And although you don't realize that, I'm not even paying attention to your Hosanna. I have to press on to my purpose in God. 
And Lyle has this incredible message on this uh, same passage of scripture called Purposed to Pour Out. And it's about Jesus's purpose of pressing forward to the pouring out on the cross and that he recognized that in that moment, he could have been distracted by all the accolades and by all the crown, you know, they're like, oh, we just wanna crown you. We just wanna make you the king. But he realized there's more for me beyond this moment. I must press on because God has an assignment on my life and it definitely doesn't stop here. So essentially Jesus is in the hallway between the greatest celebration of his life and the greatest sacrifice of his life, which is why the topic and title of my message today is this, hallelujah in the hallway. And today I wanna paint a picture of Holy Week as the procession to the darkest day in history, the hallway between death and life, the slow march from the greatest celebration to the actual purpose of Jesus's life, which is death on a cross, to be raised to deal a death blow to death itself. And I wanna speak today to people who feel like they're being pressed on all sides to people who feel like they're in the middle of transition, to people who feel like they don't know what to do next, to people who are like me who have, I feel like, you know, I look out in the landscape of this room and I know so many of your stories, but we have so many prophetic promises on our life, but we're like here and it's like, feels like it's all the way over there. And what do we do in the in-between? How do we respond? How do we stay engaged? How do we stay connected like Jesus did? How do we keep our hallelujah intact in the midst of the long journey between where we are and where God wants to take us? And I feel like that is so many people that I talk to in this season where they're like, I know that God has spoken something to me. I know that I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet, where he's spoken to me to go yet. And I want us to look at the life of Jesus and recognize the keys of keeping your worship intact in the midst of the hallways of life and the transitions of life that occur. Because in his life, we see a perfect picture. So what can we learn from Jesus in this pivotal moment? We can learn essentially how to maintain our proper gaze, proper perspective in the midst of whatever season we're in. So the context for this is Jesus is arriving. I, you know, some of us grew up in church, others of us didn't. We don't always understand the context or the prophetic significance of Holy Week or you know, the, the power of celebrating these days. So Jesus, a Jewish man was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, okay? Passover was the Jewish feast in celebration of Egypt's or the exodus from Egypt for the Israelites. So they come and they celebrate the blood being painted over the doorpost and the angel of death passing over the camp of Israel and sparing the firstborn of Israel, which if you ever have been here in regards to tithe, whatever happens to the first happens to the whole, okay? So that's the, the, the power of firsts in the Old Testament. So essentially what was happening is the angel of death, death was stealing the core of the family. 
and you know the firstborn dies, but God preserves Israel and releases them from their captivity after being oppressed by Egypt and by Pharaohs for years and years and years. So long so that they had given up on the, on the promise that God was going to free them. But this moment happens and Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this this freedom, right? They, they call it like the, the celebration of freedom from oppression. It sounds like um, timing is significant to the Lord, <laughs> which is why we push special days, right? Because timing matters to God. And, and this timing is really special to him. So Jesus knew in that moment that now is the time for him to make the slow week-long march to the cross. And it starts with the moment of him riding into Jerusalem on, the, on a colt. And as I was a kid, I was like, why a colt? That's weird. We don't like ride on baby donkeys. Like that's super weird. And um, I was like, why, as a kid, why so specific? Why he could have ridden on like a horse or like, you know, that would make more sense to me. But did you know that Jesus fulfilled prophetic promise spoken hundreds of years prior by simply sitting on that colt and riding through Jerusalem? And it comes from Zechariah 9 and 9. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous, victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And he also happens to fulfill requirement of the Passover lamb as well in this moment. So when they celebrated Passover, what they did was they, for days, they went through a testing process to find a spotless lamb to sacrifice as a celebration and a remembrance of the spotless lamb and its blood being painted over the doorpost. So what they would do is they would spend days, like 14 days, I think, testing this, this lamb. When they had decided, when the priests had chosen what the lamb was going to be, they would take the lamb and they would march it through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple to prove that this was the spotless lamb that was going to be slaughtered. And so in this moment, Jesus is, is fulfilling a Passover lamb requirement, signaling to us and all of humanity that God has chosen him as the spotless lamb that will be slain so that our sins can be covered and we can be forgiven forever. And so here it is. The Passover lamb was to be chosen and set apart on the 10th day of the first month of Nisan. And here's the fulfillment. On the 10th day of Nisan, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the fowl of a donkey and was hailed as the king of the Jews. I want to challenge you. It's a fun challenge to go and find how many prophetic um, words were fulfilled in the week of Holy Week through Jesus's life. The Bible does this amazing thing where it reconfirms itself all the time. The Old Testament is incredibly relevant to our lives today because it's what makes the New Testament alive and well. And it gives us a framework for why we needed Jesus in the first place. But you see these so many prophetic promises being fulfilled from the Old Testament in Holy Week. It happens all throughout the life of Jesus, but there are quite a few. So I just encourage you, go and look those up as well as he fulfilled every requirement of the Passover lamb as well um, as detailed in scripture. And so it's just a powerful picture and understanding. God chose Jesus. And sometimes we can miss Jesus standing right in front of us, right? Right? 
I think the people worshiping God, like, hey, he's the, he's the one. We see him. But they didn't see, because we only see it on the other side of the cross, the full picture that he wasn't just rescuing them from their current oppression. He was rescuing them from eternal oppression. And I, sometimes I pray, Jesus, please don't let me miss you when you're standing right in front of me. So there's a crowd of people who notice Jesus as uh, he begins to ride by and they shout, you know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, our salvation, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the moment is so awkward for me looking at the context of Holy Week because the same people who shout Hosanna on Sunday are very comfortable shouting crucify him by Friday. And, and it's, I told Lyle, I'm like, man, I love this moment because it's so human because this is me so often. My life is going really great and it's going the exact way that I had planned in my head. And I'm like, hallelujah, worthy are you, Jesus? This is so good. Um, and then when things take a little turn, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe no, you should be done in my life. I'm turning my back on you. You didn't do what I thought you would do. Jesus doesn't do what we think he's gonna do a lot of times but he always does good. But it's an awkward moment. And I know some of us have experienced this, the tension of loss, betrayal, abandonment, and moments where we needed our community the most. Disappointment, disappointment in leaders. And we get to this place where we're like, God, I'm turning my back on you. This isn't worth it. I feel so... I feel so heavy and that's real, life happens. You know, things happen in our lives that cause us to grieve and be sad. But the question that I have today is, what do you, well, I'll say this, who, who do you become in moments like this? Who do you become in the midst of seasons of loss, betrayal? in seasons of abandonment. Because I look at the life of Jesus and he experienced it all, but he did not change. And he kept his gaze locked on the Father and he kept his worship up towards the only hope that he had was the Father. Had he lowered his gaze, got infatuated with the crowds, who knows? what the other side of this story could have been. But because he knew no matter the season, these people are shouting Hosanna and hallelujah today, but by the end of the week, they're gonna be yelling crucify. These people are not my anchor. You are my only anchor. Father, is there any other way? No? Okay. You're the only one that I'm, I'm locked eyes with and that question, looking at the life of Jesus, haunts me. Who do I become in seasons of loss and betrayal? Do I become doubtful, doubting? Do I become cynical? Do I go into hiding? That's one of my personal favorites. Uh, everything's fine. It's all good. It's all good, but it's not really good. I'm just hiding, not being honest, not sharing with the Lord. He already knows what's happening anyways. And so if that's you today, if you've experienced loss, betrayal, abandonment, disappointment, I know we all have at some level, today's 
message and picture of Jesus is for you because he has a new way for you. And he has a, he has a process for you that looks a lot like getting your eyes off of yourself and your situation and everything happening around you and getting your gaze up to the right place where your anchor is and keeping your worship intact to the only person that can get you through any season, which is him, the father, locking gaze with them and moving forward. So this is a funny story, but when I was a senior in high school, I went to a really great school and they took us on a senior trip at the end of the year. I went to one of those schools. We'd go on a senior trip at like 60 people in my graduating class. So I was so excited because they decided to take us to Florida and I love Florida. I love the beach. I love water. I love hot. I'm like Olaf, you know, like I love all the sun. And, uh, and so I was so excited because they were also taking me, uh, taking us to uh, Clearwater, which is where Bliss and her family had moved recently beforehand. And I was really good friends with Bliss's older brother. And I hadn't seen him in a while and he was gonna get to come hang out with me. And I was like, this is amazing. So we get there and they say on the first day, they're like, guys, um, we've got lots planned. One of the things that we have planned is a deep sea fishing tour where we're gonna go catch some fish in the deep sea. Um, this is... <laughs> I learned a lot about myself on that day. First, I learned that I should, I have no business being on a deep sea fishing boat out in the middle of open water because I get violently ill and violently seasick. And I got on that boat and the moment I stepped on, I said, oh no, this is not good. I had never been on a deep sea fishing excursion. I had never been on a boat. I live in Nashville, we are landlocked. And I was like, I don't, you know, Percy Priest Lake, you know, it's not really waves. So the second, the second thing I learned on that trip is that um, if you're really, really ill, don't stay in the middle center inside a wobbly boat. Get outside, get your hands on the edges and look at the horizon because it helps you not hurl everywhere <laughs> for the entire three hour deep sea fishing excursion. And I grabbed the edges of that and I stared at the horizon and I made it through. And the reason is because whenever there is motion or turmoil in your body, you have to find something that is stable and what will happen is when you lock gaze with something that is stable, your whole being becomes stable. So weird, it's so strange. And that is what Jesus is teaching us in this moment. Turmoil is coming. I'm walking the loneliest hallway of my life from celebration to full abandonment and rejection. And the only thing that's gonna keep me is my gaze locked on the only one that's stable which is the father. And so I think that one of, one of the things that I, I wanted to paint the picture of too is the kind of connection between the Exodus journey 
I have never connected these two things and this moment on Palm Sunday. So when the Israelites get freed from their oppression, Pharaoh finally says, please leave. You've taken everything that's good for me. You've taken my firstborn, please go. And the Israelites head out of Egypt and they come to the edge of the Red Sea. And they think, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Then panic really starts to start to stir because they look behind them and they see that the Egyptian army has changed their mind and that they would like to bring them back into captivity again. And they're, you know, Moses starts freaking out, the Israelites start freaking out, and the Lord is like, hey, get still, stabilize, and let me fight this battle for you. But you're gonna have to do what I tell you to do. So they got Moses got still, he didn't run, he didn't lead them into chaos. God said, raise your staff and I will split the Red Sea. So he didn't, and I can imagine Moses, you know, coming to the edge and he's like, oh my gosh, he did it again. Okay, we can walk through on dry land. But I think we like think about this through a really Sunday school lens and we were like, oh, this is easy for, this is an easy walk. I don't know if you've ever walked the base of the ocean or base of a big lake with the towering, you know, Sides, I can imagine it was like tall like this, you know, the ceilings. And Moses took the first step and, it, and faith began to rise in the whole camp of Israel and they followed him across the Red Sea. And at one point, as they're almost across the edge, the Lord drops the barrier between the Egyptian army and the Israelites. And they think, oh my gosh, they, they are coming for us. They've got us. They have a, literally a path right to us. But this is just like the Lord, and this is exactly what's happening on Palm Sunday. They think that God doesn't, you know, have the full picture in mind, but God has a bigger picture in mind, which is to drown their enemies for all of eternity so that they never see them again and they never chase after them ever again. And so the, the Egyptians get in the water and the water crashes over top of them and they're gone, gone forever. And that is the exact same hallway that Jesus is walking on Palm Sunday through to Holy Week, all by himself, vulnerable. I'm going, I'm going because I know that all of, all of hell will chase me. And on the other side of this, they'll be drowned and never seen again, never seen again. And that's why Holy Week is holy, because it's the processional to that moment. And I think that I'm tempted to in, in seasons like this, where I'm in between my, the hallway of my prophetic promise and prophetic fulfillment to get my eyes off of the Lord and get my eyes on my situation. And at the end of the day, the only thing that will keep you stable in the midst of seasons like that is keeping your eyes lifted on him, on, on Jesus, on your anchor, the only one that's true, and continually giving him worship and keeping your heart engaged with his. And I think, you know, so we all do this, lower our gaze, get distracted by the crowd, but, you know, Jesus knew that the hosannas and the worship coming from the crowd wasn't gonna stabilize him. He knew the only stabilizing worship was mine before the Father, his before the Father. It's the only thing that was stabilizing. And so today I wanna encourage you to continue to worship in the midst of your pressing because it's what keeps you pressing forward.
It really does. And today, as we close, I want to I want to just give us three keys on how to engage our hallelujah, engage our worship in the hallways of transition. So the first one is this. It sounds a little intense, but it's get off of your high horse, please. Please. Humility will keep your worship pure. Knowing that he is God and you are not is comforting in the midst of pressing seasons. Just like the Israelites, I believe that the Lord is speaking to some of you to be still and let him fight your battle for you. Let him fight your battle for you. Don't defend yourself. Don't go into like, oh, you know, it's good. Just lock, lock eyes with him. Stay there and do only what he has you to do. Jesus could have ridden in on a glorious white horse, which he will when he comes back, but he didn't. He rode in on a humble colt, proving to all of humanity that humility will take you further in Christ than arrogance will. An obsession with self never leads to authentic worship. Only obsession with him will. I said this in first service, but as a leader, one of the things that I have learned is to discern like in worship where people's eyes are like the eyes of their heart and their spirit. So you can tell where someone, the eyes of someone's spirit is as they're leading worship, if you're in a room full of people worshiping by what they focus on in their words and in their worship. So if you ever feel confused about, hey, what, what's happening here? Just get your gaze back up at Jesus and just tell him how beautiful he is. Two is keep your perspective uh, lifted. In Colossians 3, it says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Thank you, Jesus, that because of you and because of you going to the cross, our lives are seated in heavenly places and we can keep our gaze lifted knowing that at the end of it all, we rise with him. When your eyes are lifted, you become stable and your worship becomes powerful again. Number three. And the last one, keep pressing forward. This is a key to keeping your worship switch turned on. Keep pressing forward. It's not ignoring what's, you know, what's going on around you. It's just being way more obsessed with the person who's standing in front of you. Keep moving in his direction. The Israelites didn't stop until they made it through the Red Sea, and when they did, they worshiped on the other side. Jesus didn't stop halfway through the hallway of transition either. He pressed on and ultimately he fulfilled his purpose on the earth in God, which was laying his life down for us so that we could be one with him. And so we're gonna worship for just a little bit um, at the end today. I know that we're going a little late. If for any reason you need to, to scurry out, please feel free. But please don't be distracting. But two, I wanna give everyone the opportunity to re-lock their eyes on Jesus. I know that life has been chaotic. I know that seasons have been chaotic. I know you've experienced loss. I know you've experienced betrayal. I know that your leaders have disappointed you sometimes. And I know that you have lost things that are so valuable and important to you. 
but those things pale in comparison to him. And if you want your life to stabilize again, you have to lift your gaze again. You have to get your eyes on him. So we're gonna take a moment. So let's, we're gonna stand today. Some of us um, have really stopped in the middle of our hallway, right? Between like our, our prophetic words and our prophetic revelation. You're like, I got this far and I'm in a lot of pain because I thought I'd be there by now. And you just stopped and you're like, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, you know, but I want to remind you today that you are not stuck in your life. You just stopped. You just stopped. It's all good. Keep moving forward. Get your eyes on him. And um, I don't know what they're going to, what the team's going to, what are you guys going to sing? Hosanna. We're going to sing Hosanna. And just for a couple of minutes, I want to give us the opportunity to get our eyes locked back on him. So let's just close our eyes right now. And I'm going to pray and then we're going to start to sing. Jesus, you're in the room. Jesus, you're in the room. You're walking in the room. Encounter us. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.